Welcome to our first HLI podcast episode of 2022. We are in our third year of dealing with this pandemic. The effect on our health workers, mentally, physically, and morally, is beyond words. Keeping that in mind, I wanted to share with you on the very important topic of older women health workers. Therefore, in this episode, I thought it might be a good idea to highlight my recent presentation at the International Federation of Aging Congress on how health workforce issues are older women issues, whether during COVID and otherwise. of health workers is what occupies my thoughts most of the time. Being a health worker myself and having served on the front lines, the realities they face are lived experiences. Technically, for the general population, most of the interaction with the health sector is from the perspective of being a patient. However, I would push this assumption a bit, because for older women, this is not always the case. Many older female family members are providing the care that result from health workforce gaps. And they do this without formal recognition and oftentimes without any training, public support, or social protection. In fact, it is estimated that about 80% of care work is done by informal sector. During the pandemic, we witnessed health workers that had retired, were retired, returning to work in spite of them knowing full well that their age put them at risk, in spite of many of them having comorbidities. Health workers risk their lives working with no limited or inadequate PPE, isolating themselves from their family members, facing discrimination, and yet continuing to provide care. When I presented in November 2021, already 247 million COVID cases and 5 million deaths had been recorded globally. The World Health Organization observed that health workers who are less than 3% of the population, 2% in almost all low and middle income countries, accounted for around 14% of these incidences. In some countries, the proportion were as high as 35%. And more recently, WHO estimated that there were 80,000 to 180,000 health worker deaths. That's a huge range. And they even admit that this is a conservative estimate, as not all cases and deaths are reported to them. And even when they are reported, the individual may not have identified as a health worker. In a study that looked at infections and deaths among health workers in 195 countries, it was found that about 70% of infections occurred in women, and about 40% were in nurses. They also reported that health workers in the 50 to 59 years group had the largest number of casualties, with the highest death in those older than 70 years. 
you know, we may write this off as a pandemic issue, but the bitter truth is that COVID didn't break the system. COVID just exposed a broken system and aggravated it. Inequities and inequalities already existed in the health sector. Even before the pandemic, burnout and moral injury because of lack of safe and decent work conditions was prevalent and developing. One of the best kept secrets within the health sector, especially among pharmacists, is the violence and harassment they're subjected to, oftentimes from the very patients they serve. We have already touched upon unpaid care work, which only increased during the pandemic. In many parts of the globe, health worker right to due process are violated. This could take the form of denial of a fair hearing before termination or serious bodily injury and harm due to mob justice by aggrieved individuals. Though health workers have to regularly communicate with each other on patient care decisions, their work schedules and models of work do not always allow for peer interaction and knowledge sharing when it comes to issues that affect themselves. Therefore, limiting opportunities for freedom of assembly leaves them isolated and unable to voice many of their concerns. So now on top of all of these, let's add in our base discriminations, age, gender, race. As in other work sectors, ageism is present in the health system. Till date, 75% of frontline workers are female with very little representation in leadership. And often this gender breakdown differences lead to hierarchy within the health profession and can manifest as lack of respectful communication from within the system or externally. Though documented wage differences may not be as stark as in other sector, this goes out the window when we consider informal care workers. And race is not only an issue for migrating health workers, but even internally, many a times, lower paid positions or supporting roles are filled by minorities. Now think of the cumulative disadvantages of multiple discriminations. An older woman health worker, one who is racially discriminated even more so, Health workforce is predominantly female, and as our population ages, so does our health workforce. Even as it stands today, health workforce is made of older workers in many countries. WH estimates that in Europe, 36% of health workers are aged 55 years and more. In the U.S., according to the American Medical Association, 42% of physicians are estimated to be 55 years and older, and 15% are 65 years or older. Many migrating health workers are female, and in many cases, arbitrary societal expectations may present as barriers to obtaining formal education, leaving them in lower paid healthcare jobs or having to exit more stable jobs once married or pregnant. In short, life course situations 
make females more prone to attrition and even may predispose them to situations that lead to poor health in the long term. During the pandemic, we registered disproportionately more infections in women and women more susceptible to long COVID, 4 to 1. One study found that nurses and females were most likely to experience psychological distress during an infectious disease breakout. What makes it even harder to visualize the problem is the lack of research and reporting. Even the High-Level Commission on Health, Employment and Economic Growth that was set up between ILO, WHO and OECD a couple of years back to take a comprehensive look at health workforce sector in order to address the inevitable shortage of health workers did not take into account ageism and its ramifications on achieving a sustainable workforce. There's a projected shortfall of 18 million jobs by 2030. And it is the interplay of this need, supply, and demand that determines the availability of health workforce, where need is the number of health workers needed to provide health care to everyone. Demand, the number of jobs a country's government can create with the budget and the funds it has. Supply, the number of trained health workers in the country that can be potentially recruited. In creating this supply of health workers, there is an emphasis on the education and training of more health workers to meet this shortfall. Policies surrounding retention of health workers that are actively working were overlooked as pivotal strategies to narrow this gap. And given that the older health workers bring a wealth of information that is not easily replaced by a new graduate, this should be a major focus. And during COVID, we witnessed health workers coming out of retirement to serve. So that makes you wonder why they were retired or themselves retired at all in the first place. Luckily, this viewpoint seems to be garnering momentum, as nursing organizations noted that 4 million nurses are set to retire by 2030 and, having, and have started developing plans for keeping older nurses from retiring. Nursing health workforce being 90% female and representing 59% of health professionals is an important area of focus. I think a quote attributed to Desmond Tutu is very apt here. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. So what really hinders harnessing the potential of older women health workers? As in many other sectors, perception of older women health workers themselves or the fact that the work with older patient is at the source of this problem. Layered on top with mandatory retirement age policies, which in many cases force women to retire at an earlier age than men. Discriminatory screening, for example, cognitive and eye exams to maintain hospital privileges add to this burden. Though focus should not be on age, but functional limitation, 
and how to determine this in a non-discriminatory and non-invasive manner. Many a times, institutions lack resources to promote productive employment, so this does not happen. Oftentimes, older health professionals are left out of promotions or career advancement, and there's a lack of clarity of how they might transition into new roles that would benefit from their experience. They're not supported by continuous you know, training to help them perform at the peak of their skills and licenses. This is made harder for older women health workers as inflexible work schedules do not allow them the opportunity to balance family and personal demands or when experiencing new life events. Sometimes the result being to push them out of the workforce and making it harder to return due to adherence to traditional entry points for work. Oftentimes, there's an inability or resistance to harness technological advances like remote work or telemedicine, which was an eye-opener in the pandemic that it was possible. So why wasn't it possible earlier when so many women had been asking for opportunities to work from home? Many times also gender-specific needs are ignored. For example, with PPE, it was found that they're not sized for women and can leave them more exposed. It also did not allow for many hygiene needs of women. So how do we prevent them from falling in? I've tried to break down measures that can be taken at the health system level into four areas. One of the first thing is to advance societal perception of older women workers, either through patient education or through educating employers and policymakers in those spheres. Then providing direct support to older women health worker, right from training to having better retention policies to ensuring that a working in an enabling environment by maintaining adequate staffing levels and allowing for life events and maybe even drawing up protected contracts that shield them from harm. Example, as we see high infection rates in older women health workers, assigning them to less risky settings such as telemedicine, non-COVID outpatient clinics, or administrative positions could be considered. Sometimes this could include taking account functional capacities as individuals age, and if need be, create new roles that are better suited to their strengths. In the context of informal care work, an enabling environment would not be complete if we do not provide a living wage or social protection and formalize these positions through developing training standards and standards for quality of work delivered. Overall, there's a need to increase the visibility of the problem through dialogue, exploring precipitation and enabling factors, collecting disaggregated data, both quantitative and qualitative. For instance, to help formalize contribution of older women health workers, it would be necessary to document loss of expertise when we lose them at various stages of employment. One of the crucial pieces of this process of preventing them from falling in 
is enabling older women health workers themselves, the core of which is legal literacy, to help older women health workers better engage with their systems of work and the greater health sector. This includes something as basic as learning to negotiate their employment contracts or effective incidence documentation to understanding their fundamental rights and recourses that are available. Learn how to engage leadership or what are the internal reporting mechanisms. And when all that fails, what are available whistleblower protections to prevent unsafe work conditions for themselves and for public safety. Once they are aware of this, they can push for leadership positions and be involved in policymaking at their institutions and beyond. They can create opportunities for freedom of assembly to help establish proactive steps to avoid burnout or normalize seeking mental health solutions without stigma. Assuming now that you have engaged individuals and responsive institutions, there still needs to be buy-in and support from beyond the organizational level. For one, we need to harmonize data collection for it to be meaningful. We need to make sure there is adequate and earmarked funding for older women health workers in health financing initiatives or in World Bank loans given to countries to develop their health sector. To make sure that these funds are utilized properly, we need comprehensive policy responses, including policies on internal and international migration. We need to incorporate concerns of older women health workers in pandemic preparedness plans. And to be able to fashion these policies to meet the needs of older women health workers, we need to include older women health workers who have served or serving on the front lines at the table. Not token health worker representation who are not older women health workers or who have never served on the front lines. To note, even in this pandemic, though women made up majority of frontline workers, women were often not reflected in national or global decision-making on the response to COVID-19. On a forward-looking note, we need to actively fortify national, regional, and international mechanisms in line with older women health worker needs and concerns. For example, in National Pandemic Preparedness Response, a specific occupational group at high risk for COVID. Another opportunity is the pandemic treaty that is being currently drafted. It is unclear to what extent health worker rights are considered, even less so for older women health workers. Or the Global Health and Care Compact and Working for Health too, which is being developed. We might want to re-examine documents that protect older persons with an eye to specifically recognizing older women health workers as a high-risk group. I would be so bold to suggest making a special carve-out for the inclusion in healthy aging decade. And including health worker right advocates as crucial stakeholders in ongoing discussions of the UN Convention on the Rights of Older People.
I hope this has been informative and it motivates you to advocate for older health worker rights. On that note, I'll share a quote from one of my favorite books by Khalil Gibran, The Prophet. Like a procession, you walk together. And when one of you falls down, he falls for those behind him, a caution against the stumbling stone. And he falls for those ahead of him, who, though faster and surer of foot, yet removed not the stumbling stone. I hope we can work together to remove that stumbling stone. I look forward to all of you joining our next episode on March 10th. As always, we welcome your suggestions, questions, and comments on our social media pages or email us directly at podcast at healthlawinstitute.org. Thank you.